0: Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook now. Get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. turn back to the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 16 this morning. We're going to look at the whole chapter, but in just a moment I want to read to you verses 1 through 6. So Genesis chapter 16 verses 1 through 6. If you're new to the Bible, good news is that it's the very first book in the Bible. So just open your book Bible up to the first book. Genesis, you're there. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay because in the seat before you, you should find a copy of the Bible. Grab that copy of the Bible and turn to Genesis 16 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you and begin reading it and learning about the God who loves you and desires, a relationship with you. If you're new to Northwood, this is what we do. We just take books, the Bible, like Genesis, and we walk through them chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we can, are convinced that God speaks to us through his word. And we've been studying the book of Genesis together for the past few months. We've got a long way to go, but we've come a long way. And it's a, a great story that reminds us of God's work in our lives and, and the call to walk by faith. Just to, and This morning, we're looking at a fascinating story, so I, I can't wait to share with you uh, what uh, what God is is revealing. To us through this story. So, Genesis 16, if you will. So, here we are on Independence Day, and, and as we celebrate Independence Day, you, you might think of some things that, man, you think of I mean, them, that's and just, that's just American, right? Americana kind of stuff. Like last Sunday night when we had our fireworks celebration. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just an American thing, right? To blow things up, and it was a lot of fun. So, I'm glad for that. Uh, you might think of some other things that are Americana. You're going to, this afternoon, probably uh, grill hamburgers and hot dogs, because that's what we do in America. We grill hamburgers and hot dogs just Big slabs of meat. I mean, that's that's a very American thing to do, right? You think about, um, uh, you know, some of you going to get in your vehicle this afternoon. You're going to drive home a a Ford pickup truck or a Chevy pickup. That's just an Americana thing to do, right? I mean, yeah, it's good, right? And so, so, so if you think about all these things that just kind of symbolize America and what it means to be an American, I can't think of anything that symbolizes America um, much better than than, than McDonald's, right? I mean, you think about it, McDonald's. You think America. You think McDonald's. Like I've been in other parts of the world. I've been to places like China and Russia, and 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 after eating there for like a week or so, you see that McDonald's that's there, and you're like that's America. Give me give me a, a you know a, a double cheeseburger, right? I mean, uh, so yeah. And, and on Netflix, if you go on Netflix, there's this movie about Ray Kroc and he how he founded uh, uh, McDonald's, and uh, it's a fascinating movie. It's called The Founder. I, I'd, I'd recommend it. It's a lot of fun to watch. But but yeah, I mean, and some of you are my age. If you're if you're Generation X like I am. I mean, come on, be honest. How many of you had a birthday party at McDonald's? Don't be ashamed of it. Yeah, some of you did. The rest of you, you're just, you're just ashamed to admit it. I'm not ashamed. I had a birthday party or two at McDonald's, right? I mean, it's just, and McDonald's was a lot different back then. I mean, it's just, it just is what it is. But man, when you think, and, and, I, and if I were to go around this room this morning and ask you, none of you in this room would say that McDonald's is your favorite restaurant. You wouldn't do it. But somehow, I don't know how it happens, but somehow every now and then, you just end up there, right? I mean, you're in the drive-thru, and you're like, how did I even get here? All the options, I'm at McDonald's, you, you don't know how you got there. And, and so anyway, I was reading a story this week, and, and so this guy, this, this, this 42-year-old guy about my age, he went to McDonald's uh, late at night because, because he wanted some chicken nuggets. And I mean, obviously, when you think chicken nuggets, you must think McDonald's. And so he went to, to McDonald's for a late night run to get some chicken nuggets. And he, probably like you or I, was standing there thinking, how in the world did I get here? And so he's there at McDonald's, and he's ordering his chicken nuggets. And he, he asked for some sauce to go along with his chicken nuggets. Now, I can't tell you the last time I ate chicken nuggets at McDonald's because we have better options these days. But I do remember as a kid eating chicken nuggets at McDonald's because that was the place when you were a kid to get chicken nuggets. And I remember they had sweet and sour sauce. Remember that? that sweet and sour sauce. I haven't had that in years. That was so good. So anyway, I don't know what sauce this guy wanted, but he ordered his chicken nuggets. He got his sauce and, and, and he made his way home and he opened up his bag. And, and if you've ever been to McDonald's, this is Probably happened to you before, right i don 't get your order sometimes quite right i mean it 's just kind of the way it works, so he got home, and his order wasn 't quite right. The chicken nuggets were were there, uh, but the sauce was not and, and you just can 't eat chicken nuggets without the sauce i mean that's just that 's the whole point of chicken nuggets is having some sauce to dip them in and, and so he did what any of us would have done in that moment. He, he called up um, mcdonald 's and he called in a bomb threat i mean because you've all thought that you know I mean I mean why why wouldn't you do that so so you know he called in threatened to blow the place up and and you know and and so they they traced the the bomb threat back to to him and to where he was and uh, because of that he he spent a few nights in prison uh, because he he didn't get his his sauce and I now tell you that to tell you this that was pretty dumb but, but but listen, listen, if we were to, to go around this room in this morning and I were to ask you the question, have any of you ever done something? Maybe you didn't call it a bomb threat, and I hope you did not, because that's really dumb. But all of you would say, wouldn't you? I've done some dumb things. I mean, amen. I mean, we don't need to confess all those things because we don't have time to confess them all, and, and we don't even want to hear them all, but we've all done some dumb things. And about and the, the dumbest thing you can do, the dumbest thing you can do is what? sin against a holy and righteous God. But every one of us, every one of us in this room, we have willfully made the decision, even probably this week, we've made some decisions to sin against the God who loves us and gave his son Jesus for us. And not only have we made those decisions, listen, here's what you and I have discovered, that that when we choose to sin against God, it, it doesn't just affect our relationship with God, it affects all of our relationships. There, there are lasting consequences to sin. Here we are on Independence Day, and, and we're going to look at a story that, that, that's heavy, and that's hard-hitting, and that, honestly, is probably going to make us a bit uncomfortable. Because I know you're like me. When we gather for worship, we, we want hope and encouragement. We want to be lifted up, and, and there's a lot of hope and encouragement in this passage. But this passage also is just a reminder to us of how devastating sin can be. And, and, and whether you want to admit it or not, you need the reminder. I need the reminder. I need the warning cry that this story sounds out to me. And so what I want to show you in this, in this story, and I want to show you just a clear word of warning about the nature and destructiveness of sin. And I also want to show you from this story a clear word of hope. For when you find yourself suffering the destructive consequences of sin, the hope that you can have, and so so just just hang with me, this this message is going to be a little bit hard-hitting, but but just just hang with me, because again, we need to hear this, it's the Word of God, and it's helpful for us, and so take your Bibles, look at Genesis chapter 16, go and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word together, we're Genesis chapter 16, the first six verses, and here's what the Bible says, Abram's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. And so Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, here, your slave is in your power. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarah mistreated her so much that Hagar ran away from her. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at this text this morning, may it be a warning to us about the destructive nature of sinful choices. But as we look at this text this morning as well, may it be a word of hope for us, knowing that, that whatever sinful choices we've made, it doesn't keep us from your love and your grace. So, Father, I'm asking right now that you'd help us. I, I, I know as soon as we start talking about the nature of sin, there are some of us in this room that want to tune out because we're right now in the midst of a sinful lifestyle. But, Father, I, I pray that your Spirit would speak this morning, that, that in the moments that we have... That, that we would not be able to help but to listen to what you're saying to us and then respond to what you're saying and, 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 and confession and surrender and faith and obedience. And so, Father, we know you're speaking. Help us to listen and help us respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So here we are, Genesis chapter 16. And, and, and you know the story. I don't want to spend a lot of time reviewing the story, but, but you have Abraham who's been called by God. Go! Leave your family, leave your homeland. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and through you, all the nations of the earth we bless. blessed. And, and Abraham goes and he takes his wife and, and they are on this journey. And they've been on this journey now, we've said last week, for about 10 years. And, and God's promise to them has not come to fruition. Abraham's walked by faith. And, and if we've learned anything in his life, we've, we've learned that, that his faith is, is a lot like ours. There's these moments where he does really well and he walks by faith and trusts the Lord. And then there's these moments of failure. And after 10 years, we saw last week, God, or Abraham says to God, come on, God, 10 years have followed you. Nothing's happening. I don't have a great nation. And you remember the story where, where God takes him outside and he says, Abraham, look at the stars in the sky. Your, your descendants, they're going to outnumber the stars and, and I'm going to give you a child and, and that child is going to be of your flesh. You are going you, you, you to have a child of, of your own body, your own skin, your own flesh. Let's so imagine, 85 years old. And, and Abraham has this, this experience with God where he sees the very presence of God pass through Genesis chapter 15, these carved Carcasses, where God makes a covenant with Abraham. Imagine what it must have been like. Abraham goes home and he tells his wife, Sarah, you're not going to believe it just outside. And, and God said that, that our descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the heaven. And I saw God, God's presence came in fire and, and God passed through these half carcasses. And he, he said, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a child of, of your own flesh. Sarah, we're going to have a baby. And by this point, you know the story. Sarah is 75 years old. She's barren. And I don't have to tell you this because I, I know many of you in this room, you've, you've sat in a Sunday school class where you've talked about this or you've heard a preacher like me talk to you about this. But you know, in that culture, in that time, in that ancient culture, to be a barren woman, to be 75 years old and, and not have had any children, not have had a, a family, that was a mark of shame and humiliation. And now you have this 85-year-old husband coming to you and say, hey, we're gonna have a baby. I mean, come on, just piling shame on top of her. We don't really hear much about Sarah in the story. But we, we, we see this decision that Sarah makes. And again, the text doesn't give us all the details. I'm just imagining that it that may have happened this way. But I can imagine that, 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 that Abraham just can't be quiet about the promise. God promised. God promised. God promised. And, and Sarah, she knows that she can't have a child. She's 75. She's barren. It's not the time of life to have a child. they both desperately want to have a child and so what happens do you remember when they were in Egypt back in chapter 12 and when Abraham and Sarah leave Egypt they leave with a lot of wealth not only a lot of wealth they leave with servants slaves that they gathered in Egypt and one of those slaves her name is Hagar and so so Sarah has this bright idea this plan Abraham, Hagar, take her as your wife. She can produce you a child. Now, you you understand this right? I mean that that when you read the Bible, especially when you read uh, back in uh, Genesis chapter two, God's design is one man, one woman for life. Now what happens when we get to Genesis chapter four? Because we live in a fallen world, uh, that that kind of goes haywire, and so we see the first case of polygamy in the Bible in Genesis chapter four. Now polygamy is not God's plan. In fact, we're going to see polygamy a lot in the Old Testament. We're going to see polygamy a lot in in the Book of Genesis. And let me just tell you, when we see instances of polygamy in the book of Genesis, it don't turn out well. Like, it just never goes right, and so, so, so this is not God's design, but it was common. I mean, we can go back, and, 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 and when you look at archaeology and, and things of that nature, we've uncovered ancient documents from, from ancient days that, that show us that polygamy, polygamy was widely practiced. Not only that, I mean, I mean there were instances in, in history where people like Sarah, who were barren, gave their husbands, their slaves in marriage. This wasn't uncommon. This was happening all over the place. But while it wasn't uncommon, it certainly was sinful. But Abraham agrees to Sarah's plan. He takes Hagar as his wife and and they consummate the marriage. And and the next thing you know, she's pregnant. And again, the Bible doesn't give us all the details, but but I I cannot visualize the way it might've happened. Hagar, a slave. And all of a sudden, she's carrying Abraham's baby. And and again, it may have happened this way. I can imagine that that Abraham begins to whisper in Hagar's ear, that child you're carrying. God promised that child to me. That child you're carrying. It's going to be a great nation. Oh, this is going to be good. And you can imagine the the pride that begins to build in Hagar as as she begins to understand that this child that she's carrying is significant, that that in her mind, in Abraham's mind, and in Sarah's mind as well, this is the child of promise. and, And the tension, again, when you bring another woman in the home, it don't go well. The tension, it begins to build between Sarah and Hagar. You can imagine that Hagar begins to taunt Sarah just a bit. You couldn't get pregnant. I did. I'm carrying the child of promise. And and, and how how Hagar begins to look down on Sarah with contempt. Because all of a sudden, because now she's carrying the child of promise, this slave woman, her status in the home, it is elevated because she's able to give Abraham something uh, that, that Abraham's wife, Sarah, could never give him. And Sarah can't stand it. And you see what happens. You come down to, to verse five in the text. Abra, Sarah said to Abraham, you, you, you are responsible for my suffering. Abraham, this is all your fault. I mean, you came home every day and you were talking about this promise. You were talking about this baby. I mean, what other choice do I have? This is all your fault. And, and here we are. And just to be honest with you, if you start to think about it, this begins to sound a lot like what we saw back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, the woman dangled in front of the face of the man a forbidden fruit. Take it. You'll be all right. And now, now, here we are in Genesis chapter 16, the woman dangles another forbidden fruit, a forbidden woman, in, in the eyes of a man. Take it. It's going to be all right. And then when the sin is committed, much like the sin was committed in Genesis chapter 3, what happens? Everybody's just blame. Sarah says to Abraham, It's all your fault. And then you come down, look what Abraham says. Abraham replies to Sarah, here, your slave is in your power. Do what you want to with her. I ain't do anything about it. She's your responsibility. What, what do you want me to do? It's your fault. You take her, right? And look at what it says. You come down to the latter part of verse six. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. You might want to circle that word mistreated because it's an interesting word. It's a word that we we see used again in the book of Exodus. You remember the book of Exodus and what's taking place in those early chapters of the book of Exodus, when the Hebrew people are in bondage to the Egyptians, the Bible says that the Egyptians mistreated the Hebrews. And when the Bible says that the Egyptians mistreated the Hebrews, you, you know what it means. They were beating them, were making their work harsh, and they were abusing them. Now, I know that, that, that this passage doesn't say explicitly that, that Sarah was abusing physically, Hagar, that might have been the case. She she might have resorted to physical violence against her slave woman because she's so angry at what's happened. Whatever that was, and however she mistreated her, the mistreatment was so bad that Hagar felt like she had no other choice but to run. She's miles away from home. She's miles away from Egypt, but she leaves this pregnant woman begins to make the journey back to Egypt to find some safety and shelter from this crazy woman, Sarah, who's mistreating her. And there you have it. We're six verses into the chapter and, and we see, right, chapter 15 is, is such a high point in Abraham's story when God comes and, and reaffirms his promise that he's going to be a great nation. And right after this high point and this, this experience that Abraham has with God in the very next chapter, in the very next verses, you see yet another failure on Sarah and Abraham's part. sin. Just real bad and blatant rebellion against God. I mean, they they had this desire. And to be honest with you, it wasn't a bad desire. They actually had a good desire. Uh, They wanted a child. But they went about in a very sinful way. And what we're going to discover in the story is, man, there are lasting consequences for this. And so I just want you to see this first truth from the passage. And and again, I know you know this This is not new for you, but, but I want you to hear this again. Your sinful choices will lead to disastrous consequences. I know what you're thinking. Well, duh. But you know that, but yet we keep going back to it, Right? We know that our, our sinful choices lead to disastrous consequences, but we just can't seem to stay away from sinful choices. In fact, here's what, what, what we end up doing. We oftentimes make sacrifices that we later regret, because if you think about the story, it's exactly what happens. Sarah makes a sacrifice. She wants a child so bad. She thinks that if if Hagar has his child, that it will ultimately be her child. She wants his child so bad that she's willing to sacrifice intimacy with her husband to get what she wants. And so does Abraham. He sacrifices loyalty to his wife to get that child. And here's what you've done and I've done. Whether you know it or not, you've made some sacrifices too. So some, some sinful sacrifices. Uh, for some of you, you've been, and listen, I, I know we don't want to talk about this. I, 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 I know that, that this is uncomfortable, but, but I'm thinking about some men in this church. You have sacrificed your marriage for a computer screen. Because when nobody's at home, you log on. And you let your eyes wander to things that you know are not what God has for you. And women, there are some women in this church, you've sacrificed your marriage because you've allowed a connection with a person of the opposite sex to go too far. You've allowed some conversations to linger and those conversations have turned into attractions. Let's not pretend like we're above Abraham and Sarah. Let's just be real honest. Some of us even in this room have sacrificed our very marriages for something that we thought we had to have. You've sacrificed your time. Maybe for a good thing. Because you wanted your your family to have a good life. You wanted your kids to be better off than you were when you were growing up. You wanted them to have those Disney vacations and and, and the, the newest Nike shoes and all those things. And so you work and work and work and work so that your kids and your spouse can have, but you're never home. Your kids don't even know who you are. You've sacrificed but you're starting to regret that sacrifice. For some of us, right? We've sacrificed our children because we want our children, don't we? We want them to have what we did not have. We want them to have the education that we weren't able to get. We want them to be that, that athlete that we weren't able to be. We want them to be that musician that we weren't able to be. And so we're constantly pressuring them to do better, to do better. We're constantly taking them to tutors or taking them to ball practices or music lessons and all this kind of stuff. And here we are years later and your child can hit a fastball, but your child cannot articulate the gospel. You sacrificed. You sacrificed and you're starting to feel it, the regret of that sacrifice. You've sacrificed your money because you saw something you had to have and and you kept seeing things you had to have and now you're in debt up to your eyeballs because you had to have it and you can't do anything with your finances that's kingdom focused because you got nothing left because you owe everybody everything. Stacy and I were out yesterday and I had this bright idea. I said, Stacy, we need a camper. I've never been camping in my life. But our kids are getting older and I want them to have some good memories. And I was talking to somebody else in our church I was a camper, they were camping all the time. I'm like, that's what we need. And, and if we got to get a camper, I need an F-150 because I got to have something to pull it. And so, so I was online, I was sending Stacy pictures of campers that were for sale and, and we rode by Camping World yesterday. I'm like, we got to get a camper. That'd be about the dumbest thing I could do to buy a camper. I've never been in one, never drove one. I don't even know if we would like camping, but yesterday I was convinced that that's what we need in our lives. So we need a camper. That'd have been dumb because I'd have been indebted to my eyeballs and went out yesterday. I mean, but they promised, right, $100 a month for the next 60 years, and I could have it. <laughs> but, but, but here's the deal. You've bought that lie. Every one of us have bought that lie. If you'll just follow your desires and get it, you'll be good. And, and so, so many of us in this room, let's be honest. I know you don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about it either, but let's just be honest and put it all on the table. We've done it. We've made sacrifices that we're now regretting because those sacrifices were sinful choices that have led to disastrous consequences, you see? And the whole time we believed that it was going to work out for our good. That if I I did this, if I I went back to that computer screen, if I had that conversation with that person the opposite sex or whatever the case may be, it was going to be okay. It was going to work out for me. I was going to get what I wanted. But now you're suffering the consequences because you know it, because you're in the midst of it now. It didn't work out as well as you thought it would. You're suffering the consequences of a broken marriage. You're suffering the consequences of, of children that you don't have a relationship with. You're suffering the consequences of piles and piles of debt because you had to make a sacrifice to get what you wanted, thinking it was going to be good, but it's not. And, and, and I know you know this, and I know I've told you this before, but let me just tell you again, here's what I do know. And I, and I don't get this right either half the time, and I know you don't get it right, but we're, we're working on it as the Spirit of God is in us. Here's what I've I, I found out in life. You know what you'll never regret? You'll never regret obedience to the Lord. You, I, mean, I, I, I want you to believe that, church. There's not one of you in the morning that will wake up one day and say, man, I honored the Lord with my life. That was a really bad decision. No one does that. No one gets to the end of their lives and says, I wish I wouldn't have lived for the Lord. No one does that. But there'll be many of us that will get to the end of our lives and we will say, I wish I would have lived more faithfully for the Lord. You see? Because you'll never regret obedience to the Lord. But you will end up always regretting those sinful choices that you made Because those sinful choices, man, they do. They have lasting consequences. But 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 listen, listen to how the story goes. Because there is hope. What this story does is that it it sounds for us a loud warning, right? The, the warning it sounds is your sinful choices will lead to lasting consequences. But, but the hope in this story, and this is so good, and I know you know this, but this story says that your sinful choices do not disqualify you from the graciousness, the gracious love of God. Look at how the story goes. You come down and you, you see what it says in verse seven. Oh, this is so good. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And the angel said, Hagar, Slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Now let's stop right there because there's so much here. Underline that phrase, the angel of the Lord. Because the angel of the Lord is going to make quite a few appearances in the Old Testament. Now, Bible scholars, uh, they, they, they try to figure out exactly who this angel of the Lord is. Some say that the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ himself making an appearance in the Old Testament. And that very well may be the case. But think about it. This is the first time in the Bible that the angel of the Lord makes an appearance. And the angel of the Lord makes, now watch this, the angel of the Lord makes an appearance to an Egyptian slave woman she's running she's on her way back to egypt and god shows up to hagar where are you going where are you coming from i'm going home been mistreated it's been bad and look what the bible says you come down to verse 9 the angel of the lord said to her watch this go back to your mistress and submit to her authority the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. Now, a couple of things going on here. This, this is really good, right? So think about it. If, if you are an ancient Hebrew, right? Moses writes this book. He writes it as they're wandering in the wilderness and, and maybe they're, they're sitting around the campfire one night and, and Moses is reading this story to the Hebrews where God tells Hagar not to go back to Egypt. Do you know where the Hebrews wanted to go? Back to Egypt, because it was hard. And this story was a reminder to them, they ain't nothing good for you in Egypt. And there was nothing good uh, for, for Hagar in Egypt as well. Why? Why? Now, why? This is so interesting to me, because even though Abraham and Sarah were far from perfect, much like we are far from perfect, God was at work in the home of Abraham and Sarah. And so now God tells Hagar, go back to her home. I know she's mistreated you. I know it's tough, but you're going to have a front row seat to see my work. Isn't that good? And on top of that, I'm gonna make you a promise. That child in your womb, gonna be a great nation. Now, now this is where it gets interesting. Look what it says. You come down to verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. Underline that phrase, heard your cry of affliction. God's saying, I I know. I know how sin has affected you. I know how Abraham's sin and Sarah's sin and even your own sin has affected you. And I, I know you're in pain. I have heard your cry of affliction, Ishmael. And every time from that point on, when, when Hagar would hold her baby and call his name, she would remember that God saw her. God heard her affliction, and he makes a promise. You're going to have a great nation. Now, now, this nation is going to be different, obviously, than the nation that's going to come through Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, which we'll read about later on. But she was going to have a great nation nonetheless. And look at what it says. God says that this, this child, Ishmael, is going to be a, like a wild donkey. That doesn't sound really good, does it? And it's really not. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He will set her, settle near all his relatives. Just for the sake of time, here's what's going on. God is saying to Hagar, you're going to have a great nation, but it's going to be rough. You probably know this, that 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 Ishmael is the father of the Arab people. And and from this point on, there's gonna be conflict. Conflict between God's chosen people, the, the Hebrew people, and and this these people that, that come from the lineage of Ishmael. And, I, and to tell you all that, to tell you this, that God comes with grace uh, to, to Hagar, and he graciously reveals himself. But but listen, you know this. The the consequences for their sin is lasting you've experienced this. Are all of your sins forgiven? Absolutely. When Jesus died on the cross for you and you placed your faith in his atoning work, all of your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. You're going to stand before God one day acquitted of your sins as a child of God because Jesus took the penalty of your sins upon himself. But while all of your sins are forgiven, that doesn't mean that all the consequences in this life are gone. Some of you have been forgiven much, but you're still reaping the consequences of bad choices you made years ago. This was going to be the case with Abraham and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac. The consequences are going to last for generation after generation, you see. And then Hagar's going to go home to Sarah's home. And Sarah's going to watch as Hagar gives birth to a baby and she still has no baby. The consequences of sin are going to be right in the face of Sarah. But God is going to continue to work. You see? I tell you all that to remind you it's an odd story. It's a story wrought with sin and rebellion. It's a story, right? Where, where people make really bad choices and they suffer the consequences of those choices. And we've been there. We've been in there, that place. We've made bad choices too. And, and even to this day, we're suffering the consequences. Yes, we've been forgiven much, but those consequences are still lasting, right? But you can't overlook this. The gracious love of God. God comes to Hagar. Hagar, an Egyptian woman he demonstrates love. In fact, Hagar is going to give God a name. I've seen you. You're the God I see. You've come to me in my affliction. And let me tell you, you know this, don't you? The gracious God of Isaac, of Abraham, of Sarah, of Hagar, he's come to you as well. You've messed up. You, you, you and I can go around the room. we can talk about all the ways that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there was a point in your life, was there not, for many of us in this room, and for some of you, I hope this point comes today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, there was a point in your life where the gracious love of God came to you. In spite of who you are, and in spite of what you've done, God came to you. He heard your affliction. And he saved you. Amen? Now, 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 now watch this. Here's where you got to come in real close. Since you know that, Since you know the gracious love of God, Christian, has come to you. Since you know that God has graciously forgiven of you of your sins, since you know that, let me give you two words this morning. Two words that if you get nothing else, get this, because I promise you, if you will understand these two words, it will change your life. Are you ready? Here you go. Stop it. Amen. Stop it. Because you've experienced the gracious love of God. And if you've experienced the gracious love of God, why, why do we like Abraham and Sarah? Why do we keep running back to that which we know is going to devastate? Why not continue to faithfully follow the Lord? Why not trust him and take him at his word? Stop it. Now, I mean, think about this, right? Stop, stop it. So go on to the next slide if you don't mind. Stop thinking God's gracious love isn't enough to satisfy your soul. You see, you see, much like Abraham and Sarah, you see that thing that you want and that desire that you have for it and you'll stop at nothing to get it because you're not convinced that God's enough for you. So stop, stop thinking that God isn't enough for you and stop going back to what God has saved you from. I mean, Paul says this in Romans chapter six. He says, why do you keep running back to that which you died to? When you gave your faith, your life to Jesus, by faith you said, no longer do I want that. If you've said through faith in Christ, no longer do I want the things of this world, why do you keep running back to them? Stop, stop going back to what God has saved you from. From Hagar, for Hagar, God was saying to her, stop trying to go back to Egypt. It ain't good for you church stop trying to go back to egypt stop trying to go back to those past sins when you know that what god has for you is better stop pretending that this is what you need i need to do stop pretending the consequences for sin aren't real listen men every time you turn on that computer and look at that site you know you should look at don't think there aren't lasting consequences for that women Every time you're tempted to linger in conversation with that member of the opposite sex that's leading you down to a road of of mutual attraction, don't think there aren't lasting consequences for that. Don't for a moment think that sin does not destroy because it does, right? So stop it. Stop pretending like there are no consequences for rebellion against God. Or think about this. Stop thinking you can never change because I know what you're thinking. For some of us, we are stuck. We are stuck in sinful patterns. Addiction to pornography or addiction to alcohol or addiction to gossip, addiction to worry, whatever the case may be, we're stuck in these sinful patterns and we've just resolved ourselves to say, I just can't change it. It's just the way that I am. Stop. You hear me? Stop it. Because it's not true. You're a child of God. Your identity has changed, my friend. The power of the Spirit of God dwells in you. And yes, while we will never be sinless in this life, yes, while we will always struggle with sin in this life, you can find victory. You can find change. And that's what's so hopeful about this story is Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, they are going to to grow in their faith. They're going to experience transformation. And you can too. So stop believing that you can't experience the transformation of Jesus Christ. And think about this, stop hurting others and stop holding on to past hurt. Your sin, every time you and I choose to rebel against God to go after what we want, it hurts. It hurts our relationship with the Lord, our fellowship with him. That doesn't disqualify you or doesn't take away your salvation, but it does hurt your fellowship with the Lord, doesn't it? When you sin, you don't want to pray. You don't want to spend time with him. It obviously hurts your relationships with others. So stop it. Stop running to your sin that you know is going to cause devastation to the people that you love. You see? This is the hope. I know it doesn't sound very hopeful because I'm telling you to stop it over and over again. But this is the hope. The gracious love of God has come to you to show you there's a better way. You can stop. You can stop running to your sin. You can stop living in rebellion and you can start trusting him by faith. Interesting. In Isaiah chapter 53 verse four, when Isaiah prophesies about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, in Isaiah 53 verse four, Isaiah says this, he was afflicted by God. You think about Hagar. She names her child Ishmael, right? Ishmael, God has heard my affliction. Jesus was afflicted by God. You go to the gospels. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. The only person that ever lived to completely obey God. And the reason why he could do that because he was fully God and fully man at the same time. And then, you come to the garden of Gethsemane and he cries out in affliction. Father, if if possible, take this cup from me. When he makes that statement, he knows that the sin of the world is going to be placed upon him. Take this cup from me, not my will though, your will be done. If this is what you want, I will go to the cross. And the Bible says in in Luke's gospel that, that as he prays the father, he cries, tears are like Drops of blood, afflicted. And then Jesus goes to the cross. He's afflicted by man. and He's afflicted by his heavenly father. As the penalty for our sin is placed upon the son of God on the cross, Jesus cries out a, a cry of affliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this man, who was afflicted on the cross for you, in the next breath says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, 2,000 years ago, the gracious love of God came for us as a son of God was crucified in your place, taking the penalty of your sin upon himself, that punishment that you deserve. And then three days later, rising from the dead, defeating sin and death, and then ascending to the Father and and the Holy Spirit then coming in Acts chapter two to dwell in you, to dwell in his people so that you can stop it. You see, Jesus was afflicted for you. He was afflicted for me so that we can experience the freedom that comes in walking in a relationship with the one who now lives inside of us. And so this morning, as we end our time, if you're in this room and you've never placed your faith in the one who died and rose again for you, today would be a perfect day to experience what real independence is all about. Real freedom is not found in a nation or a flag as much as we like to celebrate that. Real and ultimate freedom is found in being independent, set free from the chains of sin and death. And today you can experience that. You can find hope in a relationship with him. And right now, as we end our time, in the corners of this room, there are two crosses. You can go one of these crosses. And there'll be someone there who would love to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, there'll be a number that comes on the screen that you can text. If You'll text Jesus to that number. Someone will reach out to you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. If today you realize that you've never placed your faith in Jesus, come, come and experience newness of life in him. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I know it's never easy to talk about the destructive nature of sin. But we need the warning and we need to remind ourselves of the hope that today because of what Jesus has done, because of his gracious love for you, you can't stop it. You can make choices that aren't sinful. You can choose to follow by faith. You can choose to walk in his will. You can choose to live for the desires of Jesus. You don't have to make those sacrifices anymore, those sacrifices that later you'll regret. Instead, you can make a better sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 says what, church? Oh, here's a sacrifice. The only sacrifice that really matters is that you lay down your life on God's altar as a living sacrifice. Today, you can do that. You can come back to the grace of God. He can restore your relationship with him. And then you can begin to restore your relationship with others. However God's leading you this morning, you respond to him by faith. Father, thank you this morning that we've had the opportunity to be in this place together to, to listen to your word proclaimed, uh, to hear your message. Now, Father, for that person here that's never placed his or her faith in Jesus, I pray that person would come. And for those of us who are followers of yours, but maybe, Father, we have just drifted. We've gotten stuck in some sinful patterns. Father, I pray this morning will be a morning of repentance for us, that we would come back to you crying out for your grace, knowing, Father, that you are gracious and loving and yet again ready to forgive us and help us to walk by faith. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we have a time of invitation. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.